Hey there. What can I get you? I will have one Shifty's podcast, please. Sounds good. I'll be right back. I need one Shifty's podcast on the fly. Hey. Shifty's podcast in the window. Here's your Shifty's podcast. Mmm. I love me some Shifty's podcast in my stomach. That's what I say every time I listen to Shifty's Podcast. Welcome to the Shifty's Podcast. I'm doing my best cold cut intro. My name is Joey. That was a pretty good, that was a pretty good cold cut intro. My name is Cold Cut. And, uh... Wait. There's three of us, right? One. Two. There should be one more person here. Shit, where's Wallace? Dude, did he... Let me check the schedule. Flip, flip, flip. Flip. Yeah, he's on the schedule he's today. Supposed man. To he's, he's, he's supposed to be here. He should be. sure supposed to be here. Did he call? Let me check. Hey, did, did Wallace call anyone? Yeah, Wallace for sure no call, no showed. That sucks, man. Unchill, man. Unchill. In such a bind. We have to call someone in. Beep, 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 beep. Ring, ring, ring. Yo, what's up? Hey, uh, Alex. Yeah. You're going to have to. Uh, Wallace no call, no showed. I need you to come in and cover his shift. Oh, shit. Really? Mm hmm. <sighs> There's a shifty in it for you. All right. Okay. I guess I guess I can move some things around and make it happen. But yeah, you you, you owe me for this one, dude. Okay. Just get down here. We're already recording the podcast. I'm gonna have to cut a whole lot out while you drive all the way over to my house. All right, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna run down to my car right now. And through the magic of podcasting, here we all are. Whoa! I'm already here. Holy shit! I know, right? Wow, that was so fast. Do you want to do the honors of? In case people are very dense and don't understand what No Call No Show means, explaining it to them? Yeah, for sure. So, hey, I'm Alex. I'm guest uh, on the show tonight. Uh, and No Call No Show means that somebody was supposed to show up for their shift. They were on the schedule, but they just decided not to show up for whatever reason and not to tell anybody. Major unchill move. Which Major. I think the first time someone said that phrase out loud, I was like... Kind of struck by the fact that it was actually a phrase. Because people had to no-call, no-show enough times that someone was like, dude, this guy's no-call, no-showing again. Like that's so, I would never do that. That's so outlandishly crazy to me. People apparently do it enough that there's a phrase for it. Pretty straightforward phrase. It's, it's baseline responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. A no-show is a no-show. Shit can happen. You got in a car crash or family emergency or what blah, blah, blah. But you at least tell somebody. Yeah. You prepare them. And thus, the no call adds a whole other can of worms to the no show. It happens, though. And that's why we have, there, there should be a term for this, but the designated backup, if you will. The on-call? Yeah. The, well, the on-call exists irregardless of the Guys, you're getting a bonus word of the week this week for free, so. And our... On call, if you will, or emergency backup, has proven to be Alex Donka. I mean, he, he filled in for me when I was toiting about sunny California. And Wallace is currently hanging out with his cousin. And he's from Virginia, so they're probably doing it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dark. Wait, no, he's Whoa. from South Carolina? I don't know. He's from the South, right? That's he's where from, he's from Virginia. That's more Virginia? like West Virginia. Yeah, know? Virginia's like, not quite. Yeah, Virginia's like traditional South. Deliverance like, land. Yeah. But like 
You get where I'm going, you know. Oh, yeah, no, no, I feel it. Like, you know, it's close enough to the, the Adirondack mountain range that you might be able to actually get some people who are just... If I was going to just draw a really crude map of the United States, Virginia would be included in hillbilly land, which is what I would label. Sorry, if you're from the South listening to this, I mean... I would name Seattle the something. Whole point of this to intimate that Wallace is currently fucking his cousin. Like literally of- right now. Okay. Yep. That's Wallace, exactly I'm, where you're going to listen to this. I, I'm not intimating that. It's, it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is all me. I admit that is all me. Well, no call, no show was the word of the week right off the bat. I'm sorry. What was that? The word of the week. Word of the week. We never land that anymore. <laughs> it's okay. It's part of the charm. Yeah. Uh, but it fits in this sense because a no-call no-show puts a hugely disproportionate stress on the rest of the staff that you are abandoning. And we've actually, we have used this term before when I was discussing my no-call no-show on Easter Sunday when I was yeah. scheduled at two jobs and did not realize it. That's a good point. But Sometimes you don't no-call. Sometimes you no-call no-show not on purpose to use a lot of negatives in a row. Sure. But nonetheless, the effect on your coworkers is pretty significant, especially if it's a busy night. Yeah. Sometimes you can get away with it, but let's go into the ramifications that people face if you don't sh- if somebody doesn't show up, especially in a in a job environment where there is X work to be done, guaranteed. Yeah. And you have X people to fulfill that role, and it's not like the transference of labor can be easily done because it's all simultaneous in the sense that all the tables are sitting down at the same time. It's not like you can be like, can you guys just come in two hours later? Yeah. And then I'll deal with you then. I mean, your reservations are your reservations. And as much as it's okay to miss a couple reservations, I say that with great reservation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh uh-huh. You know, missing a reservation is pretty lame. Like telling somebody, hey, I know you called a while ago and made this reservation and that we had a lot of time to plan for it, but we didn't plan good enough. Like that's a pretty lousy moment. It's still like people get it a little, like people get it for a while. If you're one person down, that's such a huge monkey wrench. Like, and if you have to start missing one reservation and that snowballs into multiple ones because you just don't have enough people. It's a whole different thing than just like, oh, I didn't plan well and my host sucks or something like that. And I think we're also treating this in a vacuum in a sense that, especially in a fine dining establishment or a place that holds big parties, the assignments of tables to take are dependent on the busyness of the crowd. And so it's not just, oh, we're expecting this many two tops and four tops or whatever. If there's a party of 20, one of the people there is taking that group of people, and that's their thing. That's, mm-hmm. That is what they are focusing on. And if that person now has to add another part of a section that was attributed to somebody else or, or should have been somebody else's, that is a lot of stress. And whatever uh, smaller tables that person is taking care of are going to wait a very, very long time <laughs> mm-hmm. to get service. <laughs> I once was taking a banquet who was super high-maintenance and annoying, and my my parents, like some of their friends, decided to come into the restaurant that night. And they weren't going to be in my section because I didn't have a section. I was just on this banquet. And I told another, the other server, I was like, hey, those are my parents. And she was like, oh, you should take them. And I was like, sure, I guess, man. And then, sure enough, they set an extra table up for my family. 
while I was taking this huge banquet, and I gave them terrible service. Like, luckily, they were my family, and I even said to them, like, hey, guys, you're going to have to come back when I'm not taking a huge banquet, because I definitely am not taking good care of you guys right now. And, of course, they were chill with it. But, like, imagine if they weren't my family, and the reason I was stuck taking this random family and giving them terrible service is because somebody didn't show up to their job. Yeah, that's not, that's not fun, dude. It's not fair. It sucks. I will tell you, man, I used to I used to work at the restaurant down in North Bend, the jazz club, right? And one night, one night I was the host. They didn't let me do it after this because... <laughs> that's, because that's the real just the tip. Is if, uh, you, if you get assigned a job you don't want, just do it so bad that they never do it again. Yeah, hey, man, it's the Homer Simpson strategy of avoiding jobs, you know? But, like, so I was the host for one night, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I was like, oh, hey, there's table right over here. I'll just put it there. Oh, hey, there's another table right next to it. I'll just put it there. And my restaurant used to split everything up into, you know, sections based on where the tables were. So the the lead server comes up to me after half an hour and goes, what the hell are you doing? You just put six tables in the bar and nothing anywhere else. (laughs) Now the bartender is completely swamped and everybody else is wondering what they have to do. And so that's the kind of situation that you get into if you have if if you don't have somebody show up and it's not just because of some idiot host's incompetence, right? <laughs> like because somebody'll get swamped or everybody'll have to take the workload that the one person who didn't show up was supposed to take on and that just makes it a nightmare for everybody. Absolutely. Can you imagine if the host doesn't show up and then for whatever reason some random server just has to be the host? Ooh. <laughs> that, that happens. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Uh, I see a tourist, tourist family, not thinking they're going to spend a lot of money. You can go in this section over here, and then, uh, oh, oh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Nordstrom. Oh, pleasure to meet you, sir. I'll take you right over here to my section. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, back at Local 360, I'm not naming any names, but that shit definitely went down. Uh-oh. When there was no host on duty, you know, there were servers who were super on top of their stuff, and they were busting their section, and they were running their food. And then there were servers who were like, who's coming in the door? Who can I see to my section? And that sucks. But let's transition a little bit and broaden this conversation, because I would say, in my experience, no-call no-shows are pretty rare. Yeah. Especially no-call no-shows where you don't just get immediately fired. Because we did have a guy who requested three days off in a row because his friend was coming into town. This was in his third week working there, and he had just taken four days off to go to New York. He's like, hey, my friend's coming to town. Can I have three days off? And they were like, you can have two days off in a row. And then he didn't show up on the third day, immediately fired. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is like one of the only times I've ever seen Swift Restaurant Justice, and it was so sweet. Although I did actually really like that guy, so it was kind of like... Anyway, so no call, no shows, pretty rare. But calling in sick, a lot less rare. I personally hate calling in sick. I almost never do it. It's really difficult for me to do because I have just a huge sense of like loyalty and responsibility to my own detriment often. But I guess what I, my question is, how do you guys weigh calling in sick? Because I remember there was a time at Local 360 when Joey called in sick from his job at P.F. Chang's to go to a Seahawks game. And I was like, I mean, that's a pretty good reason to call in sick. But you know, you're not sick. So what do you guys think? It's contextual. So let me first talk about the example you cited. For one, I actually came clean about that. The following week to my manager, I just felt guilty that I outright lied. And 
he had known so our, our friend Troy's wedding was also that weekend and yeah. I had told him I was going to the wedding and so he goes you went to the wedding you got you know, got drunk you were hungover like I get it man and I go actually I gotta be honest I went to a Seahawks game instead <laughs> I didn't know the part of the story <laughs> cause I just I just don't feel right about bold faced lies it doesn't sit well with me uh, but contextually P.F. Chang's stocks seven to eight servers on a slow night and 12 servers on a busy night with the upper echelon, maybe the top four or five servers far more able to take more than a four table section like they assign each they server. They assign four table sections? Mm. Correct. Holy now, shit, Now, the big ass booths are four table sections for the good servers, et cetera, et cetera. But their business model is predicated upon the fact that they're not going to get fucked over by somebody now showing up. These these dumbass kids. That's crazy. I, I can't even imagine that. We will run on a Monday, Tuesday night. We'll have two servers on, and you're working like thirteen or fourteen table section, and they won't they won't fill up. But if you get slammed, like it's a lot. Yeah, we're talking eleven or twelve tables. Oh yeah. We're talking like your one tables like you put the check down and then okay I'm down to ten tables boom eleven like another <laughs> one gets set. That's crazy. Anyway. But going off of that, what I would do with my fine dining restaurant and my previous fine dining restaurant, which is the <laughs> official title of my previous fine dining restaurant, yes. is I got in good with the hosts, and I only would ever really have this request in mornings because I'm not a morning person. Mornings, that is true. Morning it is for everybody. currently 11.39. And uh, I would find myself not wanting to work a lunch shift that would be less lucrative, especially if I was on a double. And so I would text the host that I was friends with and say, hey, how many covers do we have for this lunch shift? How many people are on the reservation list? Oh, it's above... If you don't know what covers means, you can go back and listen to... Wait, have we had a covers episode? We totally have had a covers episode. I think so. If you, if you, okay, if you don't know what covers means and we haven't had an episode yet, then at some point we will have an episode called covers. It means the amount of people who are on the reservation list, which can be done online, which means that it's very uh, open to fluctuation. Yeah. Anyway, I would text the host, ask how many people are on the reservations. If it was a low number, that means that walk-ins will probably be manageable, and I could say, hey, can I be the one who is called off? Because typically they would schedule three servers for lunches. If it's super dead, they'll call one off. And end of story right there. If it was 40, 50 plus reservations, I can assume a bunch of walk-ins. I go, all right, I got to bite the bullet. And as much as I don't want to go to work for whatever reason, I'm going to work because I'm not going to leave the other people high and dry, basically. And that's how I would manage it. I think that's an important distinction, though, because on the one hand, it's one thing to call in and say, hey, if you're going to call somebody off, can it be me? That seems pretty moral or ethical to me. Maybe you're taking advantage of your friendship with the host, whatever. I'm not even going to get into that. That's fine. If, if someone did that at my restaurant, I wouldn't begrudge them. But I'm talking if you if it's a shift that they need you to be on, how do you make the decision to call in sick? Like how sick do you have to be? Or like how crazy, how many, how many Seahawks tickets do you need to have that night? <laughs> no, it, in, in an establishment that couldn't take it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a Seahawks game. If I, if I truly... Really? No, if I truly intended to go to that game, I would have planned ahead and done it. Things of that magnitude, I would do. I, I happened to score a free ticket to that game 
which was when the Seahawks beat the uh, that year's Super Bowl championship Eagles as they advanced to eight and four and they kicked the shit out of them and the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Just saying. Um, but aside from that, I would leverage friendships with other servers. Like, hey, you owe me a favor, or I will gladly owe you a favor. Please cover this for me. I need it. Uh, I would probably bend the truth in that situation. Like, I wouldn't say I need it because I would go to a Seahawks game, but I would say there is a threshold of actual need versus desire. Me, my responsibility, and I think I could speak for both of you as both of you as well. If my friend's in town and I want day three off in a row instead of two days off in a row, I wouldn't push that. I'd say, hey, friend in town, here's what you can go do when I'm at work. I'll yeah. set a bunch of things up for you. Or here's a friend you can hang out with. I agree. Blah, 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 blah. I'll hang out with you for a few hours during the day. We'll get it done. But ultimately, the job is the job. It is important. You need to be responsible towards it. And with regard to actual sickness, if I am able to do my job and it requires me to be there, I will be there. I might, when I am there, say, hey guys, just so you know, I'm feeling really lousy. I'm going to be at half speed. I'd really appreciate if you could help or I might ask for more favors and adjust in the job, Sure. which is, which is a lot more fair, but I would have to be significantly debilitated because of sickness to actually not show up. Yeah. The only time I've called in sick in the history of me working in restaurant. Actually, I've called in sick twice. The first time, I got pink eye, and I didn't notice until I looked in the mirror before I walked out the door. Oh! And my eyes were just like, and I had to call my manager and be like, hey, so I have pink eye. I know I'm supposed to be there in 40 minutes, but I'm pretty sure you don't want me to be there. And I was like, I can come in. I can totally come in. But I'm pretty sure you don't want me to stand behind a bar and hand people drinks with my drippy, goopy pink eyes. And he was like, no. And then I went to the doctor and I got eye drops for my pink eye. That turns out, lo and behold, I was allergic to. And it got a thousand times worse. There were moments when I couldn't even open my eyes. And I just stood in the shower and just let fruit. Oh, God. Brutal. It was excruciating. I laid on the... I spent two days in my basement laying on the couch doing nothing because I couldn't do anything just with the lights off. Just like, oh. And that's when I called in sick from work. And yeah, I had to call other people and try to find people to cover my shifts. That's the shittiest part about calling in sick in a restaurant is they make you cover your own shifts if they really want to. Like sometimes they'll figure it out. The second time I called in sick... My girlfriend got like super sick out of nowhere, really crazy all of a sudden and had to go to the hospital. And I was like, I'll take you to the hospital. And I remember this is why no matter what, I have nothing but respect for Local 360 and for our boss, Sylvan, who's probably the best boss I've ever had. I like walk up to him and I was like, hey, my girlfriend needs to go to the hospital. I need to leave and take her to the hospital 15 minutes before we open. He was like, okay. (laughs) Didn't even ask a question. And I was like... Like, is it going to be okay? He's like, yeah, whatever. And he just bartended all morning. It wasn't even a shift that he was supposed to work. He was there to interview somebody who was applying to work there. And he covered my shift for me. So like, Sylvan, you're one of the best bosses ever. And that was awesome. Please come on the podcast. I know. Please come on the podcast. Seriously. Those are the only two times I've called in sick. So like, I definitely have a huge bar that I have to meet before I call in sick. I don't know. It's just me. So so, so Alex, I want to turn this question to you. You now work... A corporate job. Yes. You have paid sick days because you are a salaried employee 
with Microhard, I think is the company. Microhard, yeah. Micromedia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Micro- yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Gates named it after his dick. Micro- <laughs> it's true. Look it up. Look it up. He says that at least twice. That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, so being that you're a salaried employee and also that you are working a job where you're sitting down for the yes. whole day, what is your threshold for calling in sick? And how hard is it to tough it out if you're feeling bad? Well, okay, so first of all, Joey, I want to argue against what you just said. I don't sit down all day. I have a standing desk, and it's got a little button on it that I can push so that it goes up so that I can stand and type at my computer. Wow. So I'm not just sitting on my ass all day. Sometimes I am standing up for an hour and a half, two hours at a time. And then sometimes you press the button a whole bunch in a row and just do squats while you type. Exactly. (laughs) And that's how I get my workouts in while I'm at work. Mm. But so to answer your question, you know, so... Give a little background. I, I also used to work in the serving industry. I did mostly coffee. And uh, when I was back, back then, you know, it was it was a pretty high threshold. Like the first time I called in sick, I, I my boss made me come in anyway because he was he basically said, hey, we don't have anybody to cover this. Can you just tough it out? And I was a college student and I was poor. So I said, sure, why not? Literally had to lean against the counter in order to stand up and take people's orders for three hours before I finally said, I can't do this anymore, and I'm leaving. And they were like, yeah, fine, you're probably infecting every person of the, you know, 10,000 people that come through this Starbucks right now. Go home. Don't go to Starbucks. Yeah, don't go to Starbucks. They will They will give you the plague. I mean, if we're being honest, don't go to any restaurant. <laughs> well, every okay, restaurant would do that. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, and that's just a difference in culture, you know. It's like so at, at in a restaurant job, you're you're if you if you don't show up to a shift because you're sick, then everybody else is having to cover you and deal with your problems and deal with the the things that you were going to be covering and it causes a massive issue for everybody in the short term. In my job, I work over at Microsoft. I work for Xbox. I help with account management. And my basically my job is to answer emails from Xbox developers who have tons of different problems and questions about how they're going to get their game set up in order to publish on Xbox. And so if I don't show up for a day of work, then sure, we might have more questions at the end of the day. We might have more problems to deal with the next day. But it's not the end of the world. We can push that work off longer. And as a result, there's a completely different office culture around calling in sick. Mm. Just because of the fact that, you know, if I go into work sick, and I've done this a couple times, where I went into work when I had the flu or a cold, my coworkers and my boss took one look at me and said, get the fuck out of here, you're going to get all of us sick. And so they actually looked at me and sent me home and told me, don't work because you're going to cause a problem for everybody else. I think that's the biggest difference between the restaurant culture and the corporate cultures, you know. No because one ever do that in a restaurant. No, they never do that. They will look at you and they're like, oh, can you stand and can you sort of do your job a little bit? Great, stay here because we really need you to be covering this role that you're in right now. And I showed up to work pretty sick at oh, my yeah. current job. And the mater D goes, quote, oh, you look like shit, end quote. That was the entire... 
It was the yeah. entire commentary on me being sick. And that's how it is. You know, it's they, they really encourage people to show up when they are sick because of the fact that it, if they don't show up or if they have to call in sick, it causes a major externality to everybody on the team. And when you're in a corporate job where, you know, you can potentially work from home or you have other options, you have like paid sick days that you can take, they completely encourage you to do that. And... Like, for example, a couple weeks ago, I was feeling pretty burned out at my current job, didn't really want to go to work. And so I talked to my boss about it, and he basically said, hey, your team is doing really well. Go ahead and just take a sick day as a mental health day and just do whatever you want. Rest, do whatever you need to do. I do it all the time, so don't feel bad about it. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah. So, and, and so like, I literally talked to my coworker, like, you know, for the week leading up to when I was planning to take a sick day, because I actually planned this out. And I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to need to take a mental health day on, you know, this day that I want to, you know, take off and work on my music. And he was like, okay, we'll make sure that everything's set up so that you're covered and everything's done. And then we worked around it and I took my mental health day. I got myself together. I worked on some stuff and I took some rest and I went back to work feeling completely rejuvenated and a lot better. And I think that, you know, the restaurant culture is so different because everything is completely focused on the immediate and short term needs. And that the culture that that creates is potentially harmful to everybody. You know, because not only are you encouraging your servers to come in when they're not at 100%, but you're also putting customers at risk, right? Because right. if you if you walk into work and you have pink eye or you have a cold or you have the flu, every single plate, every single drink that you touch could potentially transmit that to somebody else. And one of the things that I really noticed and wished when I was working in the restaurant industry was that people would recognize that and say, hey, we are serving, we are literally giving people food right now. We can make them really sick if we don't take, if we don't, you know, put a really high premium on preserving their health. And yet they, you know, they push their servers to do whatever the hell they need to do despite how they're feeling. Yeah. So to transition from that, Incredibly nuanced and incredible answer. As always, thank you, Alex. Um, <laughs> it seems like, in a sense, the transition from service industry to corporate industry has a lot of benefits. You do work a salaried job. There are expectations that are much more standard than you would find in the service industry. And with that said, I know a lot of people would see that as a way out of the service industry. Sure. For example, I know Cold Cut and myself, and I'm pretty sure I can speak for Wallace, What's up, Wallace? <laughs> He's not nah, here. Wallace told me that he wants to bartend forever and that he hates puppies. And He's hanging out with his one cousin. Time, Wallace is bartending in hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, the question I'm asking is, were somebody to want to get out of the service industry, to not use it as a quick cash grab for smaller hours a day but rather establish a more stable routine where you're getting up in the morning you're coming home in the late afternoon five days a week you get and you can off, take a you sick day and not feel bad the whole time yeah that, that type yeah. of thing where where the cohesiveness of the units as a whole would be more affected by you being sick and present than it would be by you not being there yeah what is a way people can get out how do you establish those connections, get into the corporate industry, and start doing an office desk type job for those listeners who may want to 
get away from the craziness for a little bit, go into something a little more routine? What's your advice? It's a good question. And it's a really tough question to answer. I mean, you know, right now, the United States, 70% of our jobs are considered being in the service industry. Yeah, so that's a lot of the jobs you're talking about, you know, where if you call out, it's going to have an immediate negative impact on your team and your coworkers. And, you know, because of the fact that so many jobs are in that sector right now, it's very hard in a lot of ways to find a way into a corporate role where you can maybe have a little bit more of a relaxed schedule and you can get a way to have a little bit more like leeway with how you're using your time off. In terms of advice on how to do that, I would say it's really at this point all about who you know and how you can get connections to people. Like it used to be, you know, back in the 80s or 70s when, you know, all of our parents were graduating college. If you get out of college with a degree in anything that is remotely usable to a business, you will be able to find a job very quickly because not a lot of people have that. Now it's different. And a lot of people have degrees in and skills that could be potentially useful. And the bottom line is that companies just cannot find a way to efficiently utilize all of it. And the way that most people find their jobs, like I, I read a statistic, something around 80% of people in corporate jobs find their jobs through contacts. So having a really strong contact network is important. So you would consider, like, Wallace is fucking his cousin right now. Yeah. Right. That's a good connection. Like, if Wallace works, is if Wallace's cousin worked for MicroHard, yes. he would be a good connection into MicroHard if Wallace got him MacroHard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, you know, and it's like, you can, you know, they talk about using social media and all Sorry, of that Wallace. stuff. That's so bad. <laughs> You know, they talk about using they talk about using LinkedIn and stuff to make your connections. Realistically, what you need in order to get a job at in a, at a corporation or like in business are a couple things. One, go in knowing what you want to do. And if you don't know what you want to do, talk to and meet with people who do different things that you might be interested in so that you can learn more about what you want to do. And you can do that through LinkedIn, you can do that through friends, you can do that through you know, college professors, you can do that through literally everybody that you know potentially knows somebody who could help you out. And that's kind of the way that you have to think about it. It's all a numbers game. One in 20 job applications that you fill out may or may not end up with an offer. Most of the job applications that you go in and fill out, especially the ones where it's just a form online, you're never going to hear back from them again. So you have to go into it with the mindset that I'm only going to get an offer from maybe 5% of the places well, that I think applied. about it this way. People who are trying to fill jobs are obviously going to post those jobs online. But those people also know real human beings. Yes. And so if they need to fill one job and they have a friend or they get a recommendation mm -hmm. from a friend, before they check any of those online things, they're going to check out that person in real life. Exactly. And that's a imagine if you're me. Wallace and your cousin is like, hey, man, I got this other cousin who really wants to work at Microsoft. And apparently in this hypothetical, Wallace is also Bill Gates. Okay. Wallace, you know, still wants to have sex with his cousin. Right. Right? So he's going to hire that guy. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is, you just have to have a cousin 
who's also a hillbilly. It's not even that. <laughs> you know, you know, like you don't you don't have to be you don't have to be fucking your hillbilly cousin from West Virginia in order to get a good corporate job, right? You can I mean like one of the things <laughs> one of the things one of the things I'm doing right now in my spare time is I'm I'm volunteering in order to help put on a TEDx youth event in Seattle. And the reason that I decided that I was going to spend some of my time doing that is because a lot of the people on that project are also very well connected in the Seattle business scene and they know a lot of people. So I can I can now, I suddenly have an in where I can say, hey, I want to learn more about what you do on a daily basis. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's grab a beer and talk about it. Then you go and you meet with them. And when you're meeting with them, you budget an hour. You say the meeting's going to be an hour, and you spend the first 15 minutes drilling them on their resume. You look at their LinkedIn profile, you look at where they went to college, all of the different jobs they've had, and you learn everything that you can about what they've done. And then over the course of the meeting, you slowly start to make it more personal. You make some jokes about what you've done, you talk to them a little bit about your experience and the things you're interested in, and you slowly start to coax a personal relationship out of it. Right. And then once you get to the end of it and they say, hey, I have to bail. I got to go to, you know, this meeting with the CEO of Amazon or whatever. Then you say, hey, listen, I'm really interested in what you do. And I'd be interested in learning more about some ways that I can help. Can you connect me with two or three people who could tell me more about the area that you're working in? And give me some more context for things that I could do and things maybe roles that I could fill. And then 90% of the time, unless you were a complete dick the entire time they're meeting with you, they're going to basically say, hell yeah, I can connect you with, you know, these three people who are all kind of in the area that you were interested in. And then you go and you do the same thing with them. And then you go and you do the same thing with the people they introduce you to. And eventually you will have a contact network that can basically reach out to you or that you can reach out to. And they will say, hey, look, I have this role that I'm looking to fill Based on what you said, I think you might be good for it. Let's set up an interview. And that's how you get in. That's how you get your foot in the door. I think the important assumption that the mentors in this case will make that is not often clear to job seekers is that people want to help you out. Yes, they truly do. Especially if you're interested in what they're interested in. If somebody walked down here right now and said, Hey guys, I'd like to know how to start a podcast. Did any of you have any advice on that? We would talk their ear off oh, about yeah. how to make a podcast, right? For what little we know. And like, dude, do you want to get like 35 listeners because of the <laughs> boy? Let me tell you how we did it. Man, we can buy all of them for you. And that people in established positions are not easily threatened and they want and believe in the goodness of, of helping others succeed. And because that, it happened for them, you know, for like sure. that's how everybody gets their jobs, you know, is they meet people, they make contacts and then they get helped out. So the older generation, the people who are in the business right now and who have the contacts and have the ability to make those roles available, they want to help younger people, not only because they feel like it's giving back to the people, you know, the community that helped them get in, but also because frankly, you could end up working for them at some point, and if they respect your resume and they respect what you've been able to do with the opportunities you've been given, 
they've potentially just created somebody that can really create exactly. value for them. Benefit that. And on that point, let me add one final note. The best thing you can do if you're meeting with a mentor or even in a job interview, anything that you are soliciting your services for this thing that you may want, don't go into it just expecting information and wanting to learn and then making a decision as if in the as if the ball is in your court. It ain't. Ball it is not in your court. But what you can do, and this is so simple, it doesn't take very much, is let's say if you're interviewing at Macro MacroHuge or wherever. Um, <laughs> Bill Gates' penis. You're, like you're interviewing a Bill Gates' penis. Um, if you say, even if you look up and say, Microsoft News Articles today, and you Google that, and then you find out, oh, they've been working on this project, blah, blah, blah. You say, hey, I noticed recently that you guys are working on this project. Think of a question, like, what's your goal with that? Do you want that to be the company focus? Or it could be some, something even less complex than that. But if you show interest that you care specifically about this company doing this thing, you're a job seeker. They know that, like, unless it's Disney or something, that you, you will take job offers from a lot of other companies. So if you show that this company doing this thing that you know about is cool, you're automatically way ahead. It's like visiting colleges when you're applying to them. You show a modicum of interest. That's all you need to, to show the person on the other side of the table, I'm legit and you can respect me and my mind and what I'm trying to do here. Because I'm not sitting here saying, give me something. I'm sitting here saying, I like what you're doing. I would like to know more about what you're doing instead of just, I would like to know more about what you can do for me. Yeah, and how I can contribute to what you are doing. That's the big thing. Because a lot of people, a lot of people go into, you know, networking events and they go into meetings and basically say, hey, what can you give me right now? What can you do for me that's going to benefit me in the future? If you make it about yourself, then you're just like everybody else. You know, like I was, I'm, I'm about to start up at a, a school up in a Shoreline where they teach audio engineering. I'm going to go through a year-long audio engineering course so that I can learn how to do that. Because Alex and I make music as DJ Dad. Check us out on SoundCloud. Hell yeah, we make good shit too. But... So I went up to this, you know, I'm going to this school. And I, so I went up to talk to the owner of the school last night. And he told me, you know, we've, like, fortunately, I got around this. But he told me, hey, we, yeah, we've had to start putting an application fee on the school because so many people apply and then they come in to meet with us and they just want to take a picture of all the fucking records that I have on my wall. Because, by the way, the studio recorded Nirvana and the Foo Fighters. So they're pretty cool. But they've got all these records up on the wall, you know, and they're, it's like all of these famous people with platinum records that sent them to the studio that they recorded at. And a lot of these people just want to come in and be like, oh my God, I got to see this cool shit. This is so great for me. Look at how great my Instagram feed is going to be. And then they just waste everybody's time. You don't want to be that guy. If you want to get a good job and if you want to start in a role that actually is meaningful and that where you're going to be able to make a difference, you have to come into it with the mindset of, I want to make a difference and I want to improve and work on the project that you are doing in order to make it better and to add what I can to do to it. That's a fantastic point. You guys, this but admittedly, 
This is getting kind of content heavy. This podcast is getting a little... It's a little premature, but... It's kind of a little bumpy, actually. Yeah, I I feel like the road is due for uh, veering, if you will. I think we've already veered. It's time to... Way off menu. Go off menu. Take this podcast off off menu. menu. The menu. But we're still going to keep it topically relevant, and the way we're going to do that is by saying, huh, Wally no call no show today. Yeah, dude. In in all sincerity, he told us he wasn't going to be here. Yeah, he did. We planned for Alex to be here. Spoiler alert. Technically, he didn't. That's how I got here so fast. He didn't actually call, so he did no call no show. He told us in person. Oh. Yeah. Is that worse or better? But Probably better. Probably better, okay. But it raises the question. If you could have a podcast host to substitute for one of your current hosts, who would it be? And let me pose this question with no limitations. It can be anybody at any time in history of any rank or whatever. Literally anybody who has ever lived can be a host of the Shifties podcast. Ooh. Who would it be? So, okay. There's the obvious temptation to say Jack Sparrow, but... <laughs> that would be pretty cool. But he's I not won't. real. Okay, he is real. He's, he's a real person. But I'm saying... Ooh, you're not going to like my answers then. Because I no, was going to no, no, either real, say real, Spock or Gandalf, but now... People. All right, all right, know. okay. No, no fantasy characters. All right, Spock or Gandalf would be good, but let me think of a real person. <laughs> Someone else go first. Ooh. All right. I have one. I would think that Napoleon would be an incredible podcast host because that dude's accomplishments are almost unmatched for any military leader in the whole world. But he doesn't speak English. Who cares? We can translate. I promise you he's smart enough to learn it. Yeah. And his tactics in battle... I feel like would translate to conversational tactics. Mm. He'd see how the conversation was going and then preempt it to get it to the point in which he wanted to be at. He would talk about it, about art with us. He would talk about culture and, I mean, he's French. I'm sure he would talk about restaurants. That's true. We could also make lots of Waterloo jokes. True. And play the song Waterloo a lot. Just over everything that he says. Yeah. Every time he starts talking. He he literally defined how modern military battles are fought based on his style. Could he not then define how podcasts are spoken based on his podcast style? It's true. However, he defined an era of combat before the modern era, actually called the Napoleonic era. And the reason it was different is because those guns were so bad, they could only shoot, like, so-and-so amount of distance. And then during the Civil War, which, to add to your point there, Amer- uh, the North's uniforms were, like, modeled after French shit. But guns in the Civil War could shoot three times farther than Napoleonic rifles, and everybody used the same tactics that Napoleon did, and that's why so many people died in the yep. Civil War. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned something today. That was oh, yeah. really cool. Because <laughs> so essentially... When you had rifles in the or muskets or whatever they used in Napoleonic War, you would get one volley off, and by the time you reloaded, you're in a melee. Right. But in the Civil War, you could get three volleys off before you were in stabby stabby mode. Mm-hmm. And if you get three volleys off, everybody's dead. Well, not everybody, but it's less fun. Mm. Yeah, man, it's the same thing that happened in World War One. You know, 
Like, they started sending in their cavalry, and they started sending in all of their guys to line up and shoot each other across the battlefield. But this time they had artillery and machine guns. Right. And so the charge attack yeah. didn't work as well. Yeah. I could. I mean, I would be down for Napoleon, though, because then oh, he yeah. would start, like, capturing other podcasts, and, like, <laughs> our podcasts would start just absorbing other things and get bigger. We could kick him off the podcast, and he would return triumphantly to the podcast. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And we would get killed in that scenario. <laughs> well, hey, you know, he the podcast survives. He, no, he got exiled again afterwards. That's true. But do are we sort of a big concept of, like, the French people in this instance, or are we like individual French people who immediately died when Napoleon came back? Hmm. Collective. Mm, yeah. French people. I, just, I think that would be cool. Like, we kicked Napoleon off the podcast. He's just too real. And he, he comes, comes, he comes, he just comes back. Triumphantly. <laughs> shows up, walks down the stairs, just like, hey guys, I'm back. Deal with it. All right, I've given you time to think. Alex, who would you pick? Besides yourself, of course. Ah, uh, yes, yes. You inestimable bastard. I mean, I am the most interesting person who's ever lived and ever will live. So it's can't it, argue. That's you know, true. That's why you've been on the podcast more than anyone else. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, you know, hey, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but uh, let's see. If I were going to pick any person in history to come on this podcast and talk, tough answer, Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. What's your reasoning? He led an entire revolution. He led he led the communist revolution in China against a very strong nationalist force and a very strong presence of the existing government. And he established a new government, a completely new way of thinking in terms of the com- in terms of communism. And then he blew it so badly with the cultural revolution he just he i mean the death toll from his actions numbers in the potentially hundreds of millions he made the, the current estimate is 50 to 70 million but okay well so not hundreds still more people than anybody in history yeah so he, he's, he might be the single most prolific killer of other people in the history of mankind so this podcast would be like a redemption arc for him I just want to know what the fuck was going through his head when all of this was happening. So every episode just, like, eventually turns into, like, so Mao Zedong, man, I mean, can you go back and explain some more of the mass murder shit? And he's like... It wasn't even the mass murder shit. It was like the, oh, hey, so you built this entire agricultural plan and this entire, you know, plan for industrializing your country, and it just obviously flopped. How do you feel about that and... Why did you think that was going to work? And what would you do differently now that you've seen how badly it played out? Can you imagine if he was running a restaurant? Like the table is just ordering like 15 appetizers uh-huh. and a bunch of entrees. He just takes them off the table and gives them to the table and just only ordered two entrees. Like the poor table is just like, no, you guys get a bunch of appetizers. And then the first table complains <laughs> and he kills all of them. <laughs> He's just like, no, you go to a concentration camp now. <laughs> Collective agriculture in a restaurant. <laughs> well, oh, God. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would, that would not be popular with the Nordstrom's. I know you got a good answer, Cold Cut. Let's hear it. I feel like I would say just like Freddie Mercury or something. Mm. But I mean, that's not fun to explain. Like, obviously, Freddie Mercury would be amazing on any podcast that he was on. If I oh, yeah. throw out a, a more thought out 
more thought out answer, like Kierkegaard or Socrates oh, or somebody yeah. who really thinks deeply about Socrates. things. I mean, I guess I could just say Jesus. That would That's be the answer sick, to dude. everything. Yeah, you got that would a plus be pretty sick. Too. Yeah, man, because then we could taste crazy wine every right. week. He turns Rex Goliath into just the nicest Camus wine. Nah, ever. man, he turns water <laughs> what into would he, Rex what Goliath. Would he turn, what would he turn Rainier into? That's my question. Mac and Jacks. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> For those who do not understand the reference, Rainier is like the quintessential shitty Seattle water beer, and Mac and Jacks is one of the highest accomplishments of Seattle beer. Yes. Jesus would be pretty sick. I just feel like if Jesus said anything, we just couldn't respond to it. There's no argument or refutation. He'd probably just speak the most basic truth ever. Like, fuck Jesus. Yeah, you're he'd right. He'd be like, man. I tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no debating it, you know. Like, he just says something. And- Verily I say unto you, thou shalt not call in sick for miracles and healing shit. And then we'd be like, oh, man, Jesus is just going to heal us. Now we can never call in sick again. Everybody would know that Jesus is on our podcast. So if you call in sick, they'd be like, why didn't Jesus heal you? And like, oh, man, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you get away with anything. Uh, Maybe you don't believe enough. <laughs> wow. Jesus, come on the podcast. Jesus, if you're listening, and I guess apparently you are, yep. come on the podcast. I mean, if we could get him, like, we, we just completely won Christianity. Like, but- we beat the game. It's done. In a podcast about drinking on the clock. <laughs> Here's actually who I would have on the podcast is Alan Lichtman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, Alan Lichtman, but he's the one that I would have. Who's Alan Lichtman, you ask? He is a political historian and professor and blah, 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 blah. Who's but Alan Lichtman, important thing. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you for asking, Joey. I'm sure you're echoing the asks of all 35 people listening to this podcast right now. Alan Lichtman has correctly predicted the last nine presidential elections. He doesn't use polling. He doesn't go off of all the things that people go off. But he has a set of 13 criteria that essentially he uses to predict. Yes. Does he predict this once the two front runners are established? I don't think so because, and here's where it gets good, he has essentially said that Donald Trump is guaranteed to win the next election. It's time for some no politics. Uh-oh. If you don't know how this segment works, we talk about politics until someone says no politics, then we stop talking about it. Uh, what do you think? Is Donald Trump going to win the next election? I think that my question was not specified because Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for the presidential spot. So my question is, does he wait until the Democrats and the Republicans nominate their no. choice? Basically, he ha- the 13... 13- criteria that he has, which I don't have all of them in front of me, apply to the current president or an incumbent. Um, I think he has something else. For, I don't know. But basically, um, he decides whether the current party will stay in power or not based on a set of 13 things, whether they are true or not. And essentially, Donald Trump, in order to be not elected, six of them need to be true and only three or four of them are. I think. But the point is, he's been right nine times. So the question is, what do you think? Is he going to do it? What, what country will you move to when he does? Hmm. I think if the Democrats run Biden, then they have learned nothing, and that Trump will be able to beat Biden. I think it would think be... Trump would, you don't think Biden could, like, harness a little bit of 
Just Obama nostalgia? <laughs> no. One, because Biden is not Obama. He has nowhere near the charisma or public speaking ability that Obama has. And secondarily, Biden has a handful of very right-leaning platforms that won't sit well with Democrats. And saying as the Democratic Party is split between the progressives and the established Democratic base, if you split the Democratic Party at all, like they did last time when they lost to Trump, you are in for a recipe for disaster. Because the Republican Party's message is still much more unified, as error-filled as it might be. I don't even know what their message is other than, I don't even know. The Republicans? Yeah. It's simple, dog. Like, well, okay, Trump's message is simple. The wall? Yeah. And, and taxes something or other? But those things and, haven't happened. Yeah, it's stupid. It doesn't matter. It's stupid, I agree. But and I'm not just going to scapegoat Republicans here. This is how Americans view politics, is that if there is a simple message and that thing hasn't gotten accomplished, but you believe that the person in power is trying to accomplish it, you will fill in the blanks as to everything else that has happened in that non-accomplishment and then vote again for that person to accomplish X goal. That's how politics has worked for a very long time in America. And for that reason, I think a more diverse message coming from a more complex candidate like Elizabeth Warren. I think Elizabeth Warren would go close with Donald Trump, but would probably beat him. I would certainly vote for her. I think she would be an excellent president. My personal choice, Andrew Yang, dude. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell, but you know what? <laughs> of, of everybody who's running for president right now, that dude would be the best president. I promise. I promise he would be the best president. He is the most thought-out policy guy. He is the most aisle-crossing I'm in love with Andrew Yang, but I'm not going to make this an Andrew Yang podcast, although I could. I think there are a number of candidates. I think Booker has a good shot against Trump. I think uh, Kamala honestly has a good shot against Trump, although I, I would not like her as president. Uh, Kamala Harris, I sh- guess I should specify. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. I think the Democratic Party, aside from Biden, has their whole field of frontrunners who should be favored over Trump. And thus, I think... I just think there's too many people. And they're just going to be really shitty to each other. Right now. And make it really unpalatable. And then no matter who wins, there's so many people are going to be angry. Like, no matter who the Democratic selection is or, like, candidate is... Nominee. So, nominee. Too many people are going to be mad. Because, like, it's going to have been too shitty. You know, everybody was yeah. so butthurt about Bernie. I think that's just going to happen a million Bur- times by the over. Way, Bernie would reverse 360 dunk on Trump if he was the nominee. Yeah, but he won't be. Bernie would, Bernie would win in a fucking double landslide. Like, the landslide goes, yeah. it landslides, and then it goes back up the mountain and landslides again. <laughs> that's how yeah. hard Bernie would destroy Trump in the general. Because Bernie appeals to all of the voters. Today, still. Or back then. In I the think- middle section of Trump voters... There are Trump voters on the on the extreme. I'm not banking on winning them, but there are people who have legitimate voting issues that I don't think the Democratic Party properly understands or addresses in their public statements. And Bernie speaks to those people, um, and he, to my, in my opinion, still is anti-establishment. He got fucked by the Democratic National Convention, provably in in the last election. And here's here's my thesis statement on Bernie. Here's why I would vote for him if he was the nominee. Still 86-year-old Bernie? He's not 86. (laughs) He's in his 70s. But, dude, imagine we see Trump just spouting off bullshit at the podium all the time. 
imagine Bernie preaching some righteous truth, just spitting some righteous Ooh. fucking truth about the world in a New York Jew accent, or New Jersey Jew accent, I should specify, or Vermont, but on the fucking podium. I don't care if he's an idiot. I don't care if he doesn't get anything done. That's fucking entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's righteous mm-hmm. truth in the I mouth think of that's that. the real <laughs> part of the matter is, is like, dude, we need a president who can spit straight fire again, yeah. man. We need crazy Gandalf president. We don't need <laughs> weird, spluttery Bilbo president. No. Donald Trump is a weird hobbit who stumbled his way to Earth and just wants to sit around and be a rich fuck all day and <laughs> sign things with gold Sharpie. But Bernie Sanders is some sort of weird wizard who somehow we ended up with. You're right, he's only 77 years old. I thought he was in his 80s. And I also did not know he was only one year older than Joe Biden. So, hmm. And he looks good for his age too. He's 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 still very Nancy Pelosi seventy nine. Yeah, man. Hillary yeah, she looks like she's about one hundred and forty. <laughs> yeah, man. We need some not really old white people. True. Bring back Obama. True. And please, for the love of God, give him a third term. No. Alex, why don't you weigh no. in on this? I like Obama, but setting the precedent of a third term for presidency is a bad idea. Okay. No. Uh, uh, fair. Thing. Fair. I'll take him, okay, I'll take that over Trump, but... Eh. Yeah, right, right. So here's the problem that I think is going on in American politics right now. The one thing that everybody in America, for the most part, can agree on is that the current system fucking sucks, and it is not working. I mean, we've seen, we, in our lifetime, we've seen the Bush presidency where very little got done because the parties couldn't work together. We've seen the Obama presidency, where you had some strides and you had some big things happen, but ultimately a lot of things got blocked and very little got done because our parties couldn't work together. I think that people are sick and tired of seeing our government completely gridlocked and unable to act because of the fact that our governing bodies and our individuals leading our government are only in it for themselves. They're only looking at it from a political perspective. And so I I think we elected those people though. Like I think the most mind boggling thing to me is that Ted Cruz almost got elected president. I mean, in one sense he didn't, but he got a lot more elected president than me and 99% of people on planet earth. And that motherfucker shut the government down. Yeah. Like, that guy is the reason the government shut down. And we turned around and we're like, hey, maybe this guy should be president. And he's still in the Senate, despite the fact that everyone hates him. That's what I don't understand, is we just continually feed the fuel, Let's, like, feed the fires. I, I, I want to let Alex finish, but I want to provide this counter. Not everybody hates him. And we need to acknowledge that as, as truth, okay? We are Seattleites. And our little liberal bubble. I know none of us are as liberal as Seattleites are, but he's in Texas, dog. Yeah. Like, they do like him. He did win. Yeah. Tens of millions of votes. But with that said, let's acknowledge that there is fairness and reason on both sides to vote for somebody. And, Alex, you were going to say that after the gridlock, or despite the gridlock... Trump's going to win. I think I hate to say it. I think he's going to win. Because as much as the Republican... As much as the Republicans have obstructed in the past, as much as what they're doing now is absolutely horrible, and a lot of the policies that they're pushing and a lot of the messages that they're pushing out are absolutely counter to everything that I think America should be about and what our government should be doing. 
Trump has established himself among his base as being somebody who is against the ineffective establishment and as somebody who stands apart from it. And unless the Democrats can find somebody, maybe like Bernie Sanders, who can fill that role for them and actually get people out to vote, Trump is going to win again. So we need Andrew Yang, man. Yeah. We need, we need somebody who can get up in front of the crowd, who can get millions of people out voting. Because that, that was the big problem in 2016, right. was that the, the majority of Americans, the Democrats, who would vote for, who would have voted for a Democratic nominee, didn't go out and vote. Because they said, hey, look, Hillary's obviously going to win, and I don't really care about her necessarily, and I think it's going to be fine, so I'm just not even going to bother you going to the You don't think the fact that people thought Hillary was going to win, so they didn't vote. This time, everybody knows that Donald Trump already won once. So I feel like the stakes are very obvious this time. And the evidence to that point would be voter turnout in the midterm elections, yeah. which was a huge upswing in 2018 compared to many midterm elections in the past two decades. Yeah, and I think that's a valid I think that's a valid scare is especially for the Republicans, you know, is they're going to look at that and they're basically going to say, "Okay, well, everybody's looking at Trump and saying this is so bad that we need to get out and vote." But the reality is that not everybody is reading the same sources on it. And that a lot of the people, you know, for as many people as are reading all of the, you know, the normal news sources and getting a balanced opinion, a lot of them are just watching Fox News. A lot of them are just watching their local TV news station that's owned by a company that is also owned by Fox News. And a lot of them just don't even know anything about it and are just going to vote for the guy that they've heard about the most. And that's what we need to fight against is the idea, it is the complacency, you know, that a lot of voters feel in the sense of, well, nothing I do is going to change how our government functions or runs. And I think that if the Democrats can find somebody who fights against that mindset and says, no, you individually as a person going to this booth and filling in these little bubbles can make a difference in how the world works. If we can find somebody like that, I think Trump is done. But if we can't, he's already got the base of support. He's already got people who are in his pocket, who are listening to every word that he says and treating it as absolute truth. And that's what I think is the scariest thing, is that unless we find somebody who is equally charismatic and equally able to swing public opinion and galvanize people to act, I think he's going to win. And with that, no politics. Thank you for listening to Shift D's, a podcast about restaurants and people who work in them and go to them. And apparently this week, a lot of other things. Mostly other stuff. (laughs) My name is Cold Cut. My name is Joey. And my name is Alex Donka. And I'm Wallace. Uh, I'm, I'm just too busy just doing some deliverance type shit with bitches playing <laughs> in the background. It's been our privilege. And our pleasure. To, 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 to serve, serve you tonight. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.